Good morning. How are we doing? Is everyone glad that you made it this morning? Everyone glad you made it to church? It's getting colder, but it didn't put you off, huh? Well, I'm delighted that we're able to be here. Um, and as we've done the past couple of weeks, we've, uh, we've pulled everyone's attention and pulled everyone's thoughts. Um, the election's coming up. I'm sure that um, it's weighing on many of our minds. Uh, it's a big thing that's going on right now. And it's very easy to get consumed with everything that's uh, going on. And you know, no matter which way you sway on these things, it's very easy to get wrapped up in everything. Um, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I, I was tempted to uh, fashion a message today around the, you know, around the election and everything going on and start talking about unity and things like that. And um, I, I came to the decision that, you know what, instead of let's just addressing it and talking about it, let's just push pause so we can have a breath of fresh air because it feels like the air is not fresh outside and instead we're just filled with it. So for the next few minutes, we are going to get a breath of fresh air. We're not going to worry about everything that's going on. And I don't know about you, but I feel that worship set us up perfectly for that. Come on, can we hear it for the worship team? So we're going to have a breath of fresh air, but um, we're going to continue to invite you and encourage you to be praying and fasting for the nation. Pastor Randy put that out a few weeks ago. So we're going to continue to invite everyone to join uh, with believers all over the nation that we're going to be praying and fasting. Uh, God is still sovereign, and that will not change uh, Tuesday evening. Can I get an amen? So uh, please continue to pray and fast and believe that God's will, that God's people are going to uh, rise up and that good things are going to come and that America's best days are ahead. Amen. Amen. Uh, so last week, I, I had a, a really great time sharing with you, uh, and we started this series that I titled Also Starring, and the idea is that if you look at whether it's a movie or a book or any kind of story, is that you have the main characters, so you'll have the hero of the story, and then you'll have some supporting you know, characters around theirs, and you'll have a villain and all the rest of it, but then there'll be you know, groups of people that help move the story along and help add something to the story. So for instance, uh, Star Wars, any Star Wars nerds in? here. Be proud. Don't be ashamed. Uh, so in Star Wars, you have Luke Skywalker. He's the hero. You have Vader, the bad guy, but then you also have the Ewoks and you have the Stormtroopers. And then you think about the Wizard of Oz and you have, you know, you have Dorothy and you have Tin Man and Lion, and, but then you also have the Munchkins. And so these groups of characters, these groups of people within the stories, they help move things forward. And so we're going to take some time and look at these different groups that crop up in the New Testament, in the story of Jesus. We're going to look at these groups that are around the story of his earthly ministry to see how it can help add to our understanding of the story. Because 2,000 years of human history have kind of given us a lack of understanding about a number of these groups that wouldn't be around today. So last week we spent some time and we looked at the Pharisees, uh, and you know they ended up being the bad guys of the story, but uh, little did the people at the first century know that they were the bad guys. They thought they were the best of the best, uh, and Jesus came and undid that myth. Um, so last week, we looked at the best of the best, and today, we're going to look at the worst of the worst. So last week was the Pharisees, the best of the best, the people that would have a fair claim to say that they were the holiest, they were the ones closest to God, they were the ones that God loved most. We had a look at those guys last week, but this week we're going to look at the worst of the worst, and we're going to start looking at tax collectors and prostitutes. And we're going to start thinking about how Jesus related to these people, what the society would have said is the worst of the worst, and how Jesus related to them, and what we can learn from that. And then before we head out today, we are going to share communion together. Anybody else missed communion, being able to partake in that uh, through all the shutdowns and everything else? So I'm glad that we're going to be able to do that. But right now, we're going to go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, I'm going to be starting in verse 9. 
And this is Jesus. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. So here's Matthew, a tax collector, and Jesus says to him, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Jesus invi- uh, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable disrepu- uh, sinners. Now, this is a polite way of saying, and prostitutes. This is a, you know, a nice, cleaned up, polite way of saying tax collectors and prostitutes, according to some of the experts that I've had a chance to look up this week. Um, but... When the Pharisees saw this, when they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and prostitutes, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I want to tell you that this is not a crazy question. To ask Jesus, who's supposed to be a holy man, to ask him, why are you eating with people that are far from God? Why are you associating with people that are actively pushing God away, that their life is a million miles away from God? Why are you associating with such people? This is not a crazy question for this. Why is Jesus eating with such scum? And nobody listening would have leapt up to these people's defense. Nobody would have leapt up to say, no, 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 they're not scum. You shouldn't talk to me. No, no, no. They would have agreed. Yes, these people are the lowest of the low. And somehow Jesus, who's supposed to be some kind of holy man, they hadn't quite figured it all out yet, but somehow he's eating with people that you and I would be pushing away. How is this possible? This was a question that came up. And not only was he associating with these people, he was eating with them. And in the first century in that Jewish culture, to eat with someone was the highest sign of approval and association. This wasn't just some quick bite on the go. This was a feast that had been prepared. And here's Jesus. And who's he hanging out with at this feast was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. And if you think about it, even in our terms today, even 2,000 years later, who you have over to your house for Thanksgiving dinner will say something about the people you associate with and the kind of person you are. If someone questionable was invited to your house for Thanksgiving dinner, I don't think it's out of the question that somebody would pause and go, huh, And that is exactly the same as we had here, is that as Jesus was associating with these people over a meal, Jesus is saying, I am not ashamed to be associated with the people that you are looking down on. I'm willing to get close. I'm willing to build relationship. I'm willing to have these people draw close to me. I'm willing to let everyone else see that I'm okay associating with these people. And the Pharisees, they had extreme feelings about cleanliness and eating and association. So this would have absolutely spun their heads, but it didn't slow Jesus down. And if you're taking notes today, and I always encourage you to do so, the first thing I'd ask you to write down is that Jesus pulled up a chair for the people others were pushing away. Jesus pulled up a chair for the people others we're pushing away. Now, these people that Jesus is making room for at the table, they're excluded, they're disqualified, and they're uninvited. And Jesus not only overlooks that, he deals with that. Jesus not only overlooks that, but he gives hope to that, and he keeps, the, you know, he, he, he keeps working with people so that they can be free from that. Jesus didn't leave them as he found them, but Jesus said, you know what, come close to me, And we can keep going together on this journey and you can leave behind all the things that made you disqualified. All the things that got you uninvited, we can deal with. All the things that caused, no, we can fix it up. All the reasons that everyone else is saying, you know what, you're not good enough to be here. You don't deserve to be here. You know what, stick with me and we'll start turning things around. 
And for the Pharisees, this would have been an ongoing point of contention. This didn't come up just once in the story of Jesus. This came up over and over again. As the Pharisees, our friends from last week, they kept objecting to the kind of people Jesus was willing to get close to. We're going to go to our next Bible passage. This time we're going over a little further along. Matthew 21, starting in verse 23. When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching... The leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Who do you think you are making room at the table for people that have no business being at this table? Who, do you th- who told you this was okay? How dare you? Who do you think you are? It goes on in verse 28. This is Jesus talking to address this objection But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, this is the Pharisees starting to get it. They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his message, I tell you the truth, even tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Now this whole parable that Jesus shares, this is a criticism against the Pharisees. This is Jesus letting people know that talk is cheap, but what's in your heart and what you do with your life, that's what really matters, that's what really counts. And the big promise that the Pharisees would make, the big outlandish show that they would put on to say, you know what, we've got this whole God thing figured out. We've got this whole life of faith thing figured out. Jesus said this all a show and it's absolutely worthless. But in Jesus' parable, the people that initially said, no, God, we don't want to follow you, but something happened that started transforming their hearts, those are the people that get it. Not the people that make a big show out of it, but really their hearts are a million miles away from God, but the ones that would even say, God, we don't want you, and then something in life causes them to have a change of heart, a change of mind, and run back to him. Those are the people that get it, regardless of what was said at the beginning, regardless of how big of a show was made when the request was first made. It's the people whose hearts turn towards God. Those are the people that get it. Talk is cheap. Well, what's in your heart and what your life consists of, that is what matters. But my question and for our subject today is looking at these groups of people. Why did Jesus connect them? At the end of the, at the, end of the parable, as Jesus is saying, hey, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get it before you. The point of the parable is to get you to think differently. But as Jesus pulled two groups together, he said tax collectors and prostitutes. He could have said tax collectors and liars. He could have said thieves and prostitutes, but he put tax collectors and prostitutes together to bring this understanding of the lowest of the low are going to get it before you, the people who are under the impression that are the best of the best, the lowest of the low are going to get it before you do. But why did he group those two groups together? And so to kind of start digging through that question about, okay, why did he put those two together? I started looking at some of the history around uh, prostitution in the first century, and it's very different than it would be today. And I'll even go as far as to say, if you continue to read in the New Testament, 
And we start broadening beyond uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, and we start getting into the Greco-Roman world, which had far less of a Jewish influence and more of a, a pagan uh, Roman, uh, Roman influence. Prostitution, the nature of it changed, and it was a lot more associated with pagan worship and temples and things like that. It had a far different reputation. But right here, where Jesus is ministering in Judea and Galilee and in Jerusalem, uh, there was a, it was a very, very strict religious culture. So the nature of prostitution was filled with nothing but shame. And in the Greek communities, prostitution was uh, far more culturally acceptable, but not in Jerusalem. It was far more acceptable elsewhere, in the world, but not here. It was strictly against the Old Testament, strictly against God's instruction to his people. And so to go into prostitution meant that you were making a decision to go in something that was deeply shameful, that would cut you off from the people that you've known all your life. And the only reason you would ever do this is that you honestly didn't believe you had any other choice. You would never go into this just because it seemed the easy way out. The only reason you would ever get to the point in your life where with a broken heart and tears just streaming down your face is that you honestly believe there is no other way I can feed my children unless I do this. Nobody ran to this. Nobody ran to this sinful way of life because they thought it would be good for them, because they thought it would be a way to make easy money. This was done with a heavy, broken heart as they ran, desperate, desperate to do anything else. Oftentimes, these people were widows. They were people that had children they needed to feed, and this was the only option they felt they had. Oftentimes, it was forced upon them by others. It was certainly nothing that anybody did with any sense of joy or any sense of desire to do and it wasn't any level of discretion or secrecy. Everybody knew which house you went to if that's what you wanted. There was, no, uh, th th there was no way that you could maintain any level of dignity. Once you started on this path, you were on there for life and it was near impossible to get off. Nobody did this for any reason other than absolute desperation. And on the other hand, we have our tax collectors. And tax collectors are a very, very different story. So in the Bible, we see our chief tax collectors like Zacchaeus, who we're going to read about in a little while. Um, they would bid for the, uh, the role of being the chief tax collector. It was almost like uh, owning a franchise. You know, sort of a fast food restaurant will have a franchise. And so the franchisee will approach, you know, say McDonald's or KFC or whoever, and they'll say, hey, I think it'd be a really good franchisee. And the big company has one, you know, uh, one thing in mind, and that's, can you make me more money than the other guy who's applying to be a franchisee? is the only concern that they have. You know, the person that wants to have a McDonald's franchise, because if you get the franchise, it's good for a territory, and no one else can put a McDonald's in that area because you've got the bid, you've got the contract. The tax collectors work the same way. The tax collectors, the chief tax collectors, would go to Rome and they would say, we can be in charge of that community and we can get you more taxes than anybody else. And the chief tax collectors had somewhat of a balancing act that they needed to juggle with because it was, we need to get Rome as much money as possible. I want to get as much money as possible, but we can't starve everybody to death. And so the whole balancing act that the chief tax collectors had was trying to get as much money out of the community to bleed it dry without actually killing them because they promised Rome more money than the next person who said they could get a lot of money. They want to get a bunch of money for themselves, but you can't kill the golden goose. 
So we need to get as much money, we need to squeeze people as much as we can. So they would hire these tax collectors, people like Matthew, who would go and it would be his job to go and try and squeeze and extort people. And oftentimes the the pressure on people to pay the tax collectors was so great that they would end up going into debt. They would end up uh, oftentimes going into jail because they couldn't repay. They would have to give up property. The, the, The absolute crisis that these tax collectors caused was nothing short of evil. They abused their position. They would take money they definitely had no right to. They promised Rome that they would get them more money than anyone else, and they had to deliver, and they had the Roman army as their enforcer. Someone doesn't pay up, Roman guards are coming. It's going to be a bad day in your house if you don't pay up. This is nothing short of evil. And Jesus paired these two together, tax collectors and prostitutes. The prostitutes who wanted nothing to do with a life of sin, but they felt they had no other option. And the tax collectors who ran towards sin because they thought it would pay off. And the prostitutes, they're living in desperation, possibly widowed, It was a life of poverty. Nobody ever came out ahead. There was never any big financial breakthrough that came from this. And then you got the tax collectors. They were eager for the money. And there was a very real opportunity that this could be a chance to make big money. The prostitutes in the culture around them, they were considered the lowest of the low. Their fellow Jewish people wanted nothing to do with them, would absolutely ostracize them, absolutely push them to one side, just so they could scrape it together to help the kids live And then the tax collectors, even though they were hated by their fellow Jewish people, the Romans might have tolerated them. This was a real chance for these tax collectors to make some money. And they ran at this opportunity to abandon faith, abandon their culture, abandon their heritage, abandon the promises of God for this opportunity that they thought could pay off. I wrote this down, and it's not on the screen, but as I wrote this down, it really hit me. It really was a strong uppercut as this kind of thought came to me as I was reading around this subject this week. But the prostitutes, they depended on the same people who shamed them by day to be hypocritical at night just to survive. They depended on the same people who shamed them by day, who pushed them to one side, who cast them down, who told the kids, cross the road so you don't have to get close to that woman. Shame them by day. They needed them to be hypocritical at night just to survive. In many ways, I don't think this is a stretch to say that these prostitutes, these ladies, they were victims of the first century society. They hated what they had to do. They hated the life that they they believed they were forced into. They hated the shame that came upon them. They hated the hypocrisy they had to become a part of. There was nothing in here that paints a picture of this is something worthwhile, but you flip the page and you start looking at the tax collectors. The wealth meant that they could put some distance between themselves and the Jewish culture that they'd grown up in. The wealth meant that they could start fraternizing with the Romans a little bit, and it's amazing how much people will overlook some stuff if you have enough money, so they had a chance to start living this wealthy kind of lifestyle. They tried to enjoy the worst promise of the world, which is that sin pays off. They tried to do it, but they all came back to feeling distant, alone, abandoned, and needing a savior because they had no right 
to eat at the table. So the motivation for uh, the prostitutes and the tax collectors may have been different. One followed sin, desperate for survival, and the other, believing that sin would pay off. The motive for, for pursuing their sinfulness may have been different, but what they found is they both had a broken relationship with God. They both found themselves alone and ostracized. They found themselves excluded, disqualified, and uninvited. So much of the Jewish identity was uh, built into their faith and their history, and uh, so much of their Jewish identity was on the promises of God, and they'd been stripped away of believing that they had any part in the promises of God. And as the one was forced into this life of sinfulness, and one ran for it joyfully, they found out what many of us in this room have found out. Sin only hurts. It never helps. It is the world's worst empty promise, and it has a 100% tax record. See, the tax collectors, they got to experience some of the fun that sin promises, but they found out it didn't pay off. They got to the point where they were desperate for a savior that would make space for them at the table. The prostitutes, they, they were depending on those people to be hypocritical, and I expect that they would hate every single moment of this life that they were forced into. But when it came time to gather and eat, Jesus made space at the table. Jesus made space at the table. Jesus pulled up a chair for the people others were pushing away. And in all of this, in all of this, Jesus is our role model. No one can accuse Jesus of being soft on sin. He was on the cross. He paid the price for it. No one can accuse him of being soft on sin, but his love for people was so strong that people would take the truth from him. That's the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. If one person claps, we may as well all clap. Come on at home, you can clap. And I'm gonna take a drink break. Jesus led with love. People believed him when he said that he loved them. People trusted him when he said, I can help. So when it was time to give the truth, people were ready to start cleaning up their act. And as people left their sinfulness behind, their love for Jesus just grew and grew. This is the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees we talked about last week. Is that Jesus was primarily focused on you need to know how much I love you. You need to know that I care deeply about you. You need to know about a Father in heaven that loves you. And when you know that, then we can start talking about what caused you to be distant from him in the first place. But if you don't know that God loves you, then you sound just like a Pharisee's. Think about yourself, if, think about the moments where you've done stuff you're not proud of, you've done stuff that has caused you to be disqualified from the table. Did you want someone coming to talk to you and saying, hey, you know what, that was no good? Or did you want someone reminding you, hey, God loves you. God loves you. Don't miss out on it. Don't push him away when he's trying to pull you close. Don't cause distance between you and him. 
when he's trying to grab you close and let you know all over again just how much he loves you. I've got a, a few questions. And hopefully you get a chance this week. Um, let it cause reflection. Let it cause you to pray and think things through. But the first thing is, how can I pull up more chairs? How can I pull up more chairs? And I would say as I was praying through this this week, that the biggest objection I think that believers have with topics like this is that we don't want to come across like we condone sin. That's a concern that we have. As we show love to people, show love to anyone and everyone, a deep concern that many people would have is that we don't want to appear that we condone sin. Um, because Jesus is our role model. Let me say to you that our first primary concern is that the people that are broken, that are hurting, whether they are in sin because they don't feel that they've got any other way or whether they are running to sin deliberately and intentionally believing that it's gonna pay off, the message is God loves you. And if you get that, then I'm ready to start talking about whatever else you need. I'm ready to start helping pray through whatever needs to be prayed through with you. I'm ready to walk through with you patiently and calmly as we start getting out the other side of whatever it is you need to get out the other side of. But the first thing, the first thing that you and I have, if we're taking Jesus as our role model, is to love people. Jesus was not soft on sin. I'm not trying to pretend that we're not glossing. We're just loving people. The way that Jesus did. Now the second question, how can I push people away less? How can I push people away less? Jesus made the impossible possible to get us to the table. Do we make it easier or harder for others? Jesus made the impossible possible. Do we make it easier or harder? I've got a couple more verses I'd love to share with you before we get into communion. One is a, a story many of you all know very well. It's a story in Luke's gospel about a prostitute who's come to a house where Jesus was. And Jesus is there and he's eating and he's with these Pharisees and this prostitute has made her way into the house and she comes where Jesus is sitting and with tears rolling down her face, she starts washing Jesus' feet in a ceremonial way. She takes this expensive jar of perfume and uses it to anoint Jesus' feet in a way that was ceremonial and appropriate in the first century. And a quick side question, how do you think she came to get that jar of perfume? What did she have to go through to get that? And she poured it all out because she got it. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted by God. He's making a space for me at the table. I can't help but respond in love and devotion. And as you can expect, the Pharisees didn't like it. So Jesus tells them this, Luke 7, 47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven only a little, shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The things that kept you from the table have been forgiven. It's done, it's over. We're not pretending that those things never existed. 
We're not pretending that you are really qualified for the table, but these mean Pharisees are making you believe that you're not. No, it's real stuff that we need to deal with and needs to be addressed. But it's done. I'm forgiving you, you're done. The debt you owe me as the creator of the universe, it's wiped clean. It's done. Your seat at the table is reserved for you. On the cross, it was dealt with. On the cross, whatever forgiveness was needed, was done, was paid for, it was all established on the cross. And three days later, the power of sin and death was done, over, done. And there's another time that Jesus goes to the house of a chief tax collector. This is the kind of tax collector that someone like Matthew would have worked for. This is someone that would have gone to Rome and said, hey, hey, let me be the chief tax collector. He was the house of Zacchaeus. Jesus shows grace and he shows love and he shows forgiveness to this man. So the Pharisees, once again, they're outraged that Jesus was eating with Zacchaeus, that Jesus at a table with this man. This high level of acceptance, this high level of we can be friends. We can be together in this. We're gonna be in community together. This high level of acceptance. You're doing that with a chief tax collector? But Zacchaeus got it. Luke 19, 8, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. He got it. And his response to the love of Jesus, to the forgiveness of Jesus, to Jesus making a space for him at the table was I am done with that sinfulness. I am done with the stuff that separated me from you. I'm done. Why would I ever want to turn back there? Once I've encountered the love of God, my priorities completely have rearranged. I want that. I don't want to go back to the old way of living. I just want more and more of the love of God and whatever is holding me back, whatever is getting in the way, I need to be done with that. Once again, the Pharisees, seeing the theme? Once again, the Pharisees are unhappy. This shouldn't be happening. Chief tax collector, no way. Luke 19, 10, Jesus reminds us and teaches us this is his mission for the Son of Man came to seek and saved those who are lost. This is my mission so I can bring the disqualified, I can bring the uninvited, and I can get them to the table. The people who don't deserve a seat at the table, I came to get them a seat at the table. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And back to Matthew 9. We read this, read this a little earlier. Matthew 9, verse 11, but the Pharisees saw this. This is Jesus eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. We already read this verse, but why does your teacher eat with such scum? That was the question. And I said, I don't think this is a crazy question. Why is he eating with these awful people? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Sick people do. And this is a, a whole message in of itself, so I'm not gonna take too long on this, but think about it, the doctor, you go there for a diagnosis. You go there to find out what the cause is. You go there to find out what the remedy is. That's true healing. And Jesus, when he compares himself to a doctor, 
He's saying, come to me. I can help you diagnose. I can help you find the awareness of where the sin has robbed you of relationship with God in your life. I can help you figure out the cause of all this, what you keep doing, what's going on in your life that keeps tripping you up. And I can be the remedy you need to have a healed and whole relationship with the Father. I've made a space for you at the table. The table, again, this first century, this association that we can be together, even though you're disqualified, we can eat together at the table. Uh, Probably a few months ago now, I was doing uh, nighttime Bible stories with my daughter, Esther, and uh, she's something else. She really is incredible. Um, My wife describes her as pure sunshine, and I think that's appropriate. I'm reading a story with her, and we're reading the story of the Passover, and um, we talked about that a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago now. Um, But as I'm reading this story to Esther, she's asking about why are they putting blood on the doorpost? And, you know, I have to be honest, you know, as a 21st century American, yeah, that's weird. It's, It's pretty reasonable to want some explanation from that, you know what I'm saying? So I said to Esther, sort of as a little bit of optimism, I said, well, can you think of another time in the Bible where there was some blood on a post? And after a, you know, a couple, of, couple of clues, a couple of hints from dad, she said, the cross. Yes, the cross. And as Jesus gathered together for a Passover meal, all of it pointing to the cross. He set a table. He made space for the disciples who most definitely didn't deserve to be there. One of them was a tax collector, by the way. And he made a space for them. He made a seat, he made a seat available for them to come to the table. He pulled up a chair for people that were very disqualified and said, I'm gonna qualify you. People who were uninvited and he said, I'm gonna invite you. People who never ever had any right to be at that table, he says, I'm coming so that you can have a seat at this table and you're not gonna be the awkward guest that everyone wished would have stayed home. You're a welcome member of the family. And it's with that in mind that we're gonna share communion together today. Just as Jesus initiated this on that last supper as he celebrated Passover, all of it pointing to what he was gonna do on the cross, all of it teaching us that he is making room and space at the table for people who everyone else would say they don't deserve it. Jesus says, I know, isn't it great they're here? You shouldn't have those people here, I know. And I'm so happy they made it. Those people, yeah, they're part of the family now. We're gonna take communion together. In this room right now, I don't even know how to start calculating the different regrets that are represented here, the different addictions that are being broken in here, the hurts that are being healed in here, the pain, the frustration, the anger that's being conquered in here, I don't know, but I know it's real. And I know that Jesus has brought me the space for you at the table. So we have these communion cups. I was delighted that we had a way we could do this and maintain social distancing. They're not necessarily the easiest things to figure out, but let me say this, that there's a top film here, the clear bit. 
If you peel that back, that gives you the bread. So if you go ahead and do that, and if you wouldn't mind, once you've done that, just hold the bread in your hand. We're gonna take this together in just a moment. But let me read this to you from Luke 22. Verse 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. The way my body was beaten up and bruised was for you. The way that I was, I was abused and mistreated as I went to the cross, the way that I was beaten and flogged, it was for you. Do this in remembrance of me, remembering that the place at the table came at a great cost. Remembering that we could never have paid that ourselves. And the only one that could did it, as the book of Hebrews says, with joy set before him. So come on everybody, let's take the bread together. And if you take the foil section back on here, Luke 22, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. The old covenant which you failed in is done. The old covenant which excluded you from the table is done. The old covenant which brought shame and fear and condemnation and gave the Pharisees license to bully you and push you around, it's done. It's done. This is a new covenant between God and His people, between God and the people that come to the table, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's take the cup together. this in remembrance of me never forgetting the price that was paid so that you and I could have a place at the table so you and I could have that relationship with God and you may be here today and maybe you didn't feel comfortable taking part in communion with us and that's okay um, don't want to make you feel weird about that and maybe you're here today and you've never decided to take your place at the table You've never made the decision to follow God. You've never made the decision to follow Jesus and let Him be Lord of your life. Or maybe you're here, but that decision has kind of fizzled over time. And if I were to ask you honestly, are you living a life of faith? Are you following God in a moment of honesty? You'd have to say, no. My friend, I want to let you know that that invitation for you to come to the table was as real today as it is 2,000 years ago. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. This is, this is not a request for you to join our church. If there's another church that is gonna be a better fit for you, we'd love to help you figure out what that church is. But I wanna give you a chance to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna give you the chance to heal the broken relationship that we can feel deep in our heart when we're distant from God. And we're gonna pray a prayer together in just a moment. And if this is you, if this is the moment where it all changes for you, I believe that life will never, ever look the same if you pray a prayer full of faith today. So I wanna invite everybody here, if you don't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads. This is just to give privacy to those around you. 
in a moment I'm gonna invite you to put your hand in the air and this isn't so we can do anything weird or make anyone feel uncomfortable. I give you my word, we're not gonna embarrass you in any way. But when we pray in just a moment, I'd love to know who I'm praying for. So if everyone would mind just closing your eyes, if this is you today, if you're saying, Tom, I'm not following God, but I wanna start today. If you don't mind just raising your hand in the air just for a moment, just so I know who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. Anybody else here? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I promise I won't embarrass you. But when we pray, I'd love to know who I'm counting in. Amen. Anybody else here? Amen. You can put your hand down. Thank you so much. Well, church family, I want to invite you, if you don't mind standing as we pray, and we're going to pray full of faith, full of belief that people's lives are being transformed here. The words are on the screen. And if you believe this, I want you to pray this along, believing the life is going to change today. So come on, everybody, let's pray together. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. People are finding God in here today. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I made it to church today. Amen. Word of Life Church, I hope there was something here that was helpful for you. For those incredible, courageous people that put your hand up a moment from now, I hope there's a, a next step that we can help you figure out. So why don't we welcome Megan and Aaron as they come and help us figure out what the next step might be.